This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Guess what, Lorraine? Tell me, Trish. Well, we've had possibly the best compliment I think we are ever going to get. Am I going to like it? Oh, you are. I think you are. I think he's going to make you laugh. My lovely friend Sue, who I've known for years, who lives in Australia, sent me a little message telling us how much she loved the podcast and the fact that she thinks we are the menopausal Morecambe and Wines. (laughs) (laughs) Menopausal Morecambe and Wise. Do you know my favourite Morecambe and Wise joke? Can I tell it to you? Which one is it? Every time a police car with a siren on goes by, you have to say, he's not going to sell many ice creams going that fast. (laughs) That's a classic Eric, isn't it? When they're in bed, when they're in bed in their strange bedroom. Anyway, I think we should challenge ourselves to try and get a little more common wise joke now into every episode. I'm going to get you a badge, a badge with menopausable more common wise on it. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. In today's episode, we'll be discussing middle-age rage. Yes, I think you probably all know what we're talking about. It's that illogical and extreme fury that seems to turn up like an uninvited guest right in the middle of midlife. You thought you'd be content, but instead you're just cross. So what is that all about? I'm always cross, aren't I, Trish? So I can (laughs) hear you on that. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to be giving some handy tips on how to be more organised now that you are a proper grown-up for our section, How to Win at Midlife. And we'll also be posing the question this week, what do you do if your teen stops communicating with you? Yeah. And today's guest is writer Rosie Green, whose new book, How to Heal a Broken Heart, is out in February. Rosie, who is 45, will be talking to us about love, sex and relationships in midlife. Her partner of 26 years left unexpectedly just before Christmas 2018. But Rosie, who's a fashion and beauty journalist, has built a happy new life with her family. And we hear how she came back from the brink of loneliness and despair. And we'll be rounding off the show with some nostalgia noodling. But just a reminder as well, please, we love to hear from you we love to hear your midlife lessons and experiences either on our facebook group our instagram or by email at hello at postcards from midlife.com and of course if you missed any of series one or two or even the last few episodes then they're all on your usual podcast provider so you can catch up Let's get started with some of our jibber-jabber because we do love to chat about the things we thought we might be in midlife and whether or not we've achieved them and if they really actually matter anyway. This week we're pondering on whether or not we're content. Lorraine, are you content? Well, it's hard to tell because of the midlife rage, which was something I didn't think it would happen to me. It's about sort of being kind of overwhelmed, isn't it, and kind of overheated 
and overloaded and it's actually a recognized symptom of the menopause midlife rage or the perimenopause and it's not i wouldn't say it's kind of just being a bit cross with things it's absolutely murderous isn't it this <laughs> rage it's a rage i've never experienced before and i am a woman who once went on an anger management course for a piece i was writing when i suggested to the staff that we write a piece about anger management and could they find someone who could do it they said why don't you do it which um <laughs> You know, I know about rage, but I had no idea that this rage was going to happen. Obviously, it's to do with the estrogen dropping. It's very, very common, isn't it? Do you Mm. get the rage, Trish? Not anymore, because mine went after the HRT. And I think there does come a point where it does stop, thank God. But it was not good. The thing is, Trish, no one told us that this rage was coming. It's kind of a bit of a shock. So I remember back to my mum, who would have been Mm. around the perimenopausal age, getting very cross, unusually cross. She's a very calm, patient woman. And suddenly she was getting very, very cross about things. And I remember one Christmas day where the food was burnt. She wasn't a great (laughs) cook. It wasn't her favourite thing. And she took it out of the oven and she was so cross. She just threw it all at the shut patio window. And I just remember watching (laughs) it all... Me and my sister watching it all slide, slide. down the window, oh, thinking, oh my what God, what do we have now? Oh no. Did, was your mum cross? Yeah, well, oh, my God. mother's was also a kitchen fury. They were trapped the there, weren't they? <laughs> I know, poor woman. It was the banging of the pots and pans. We just knew <laughs> to skedaddle upstairs when the banging started. Bang, crash, putting pans away, getting pans out, putting them in the sink, banging on. <laughs> poor woman. And obviously we just sort of ran, ran for the hills. Midlife rage. Midlife rage. But dealing with the rage, getting rid of the rage, it's given me some headspace for the first time in years to think about whether or not I am content. And... I think that I read somewhere that when you are content, you are at peace with your life and the choices you've made and whether that's your partner, your career, your possessions, and you're not constantly looking for more or better things to be satisfied with. So have you got to any point where you've got some clarity on that? Well, I have. I have. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I'm just about to read Untamed, the Glennon Doyle book, which has been a Mm. massive number one bestseller. This is a woman who left a very unhappy marriage, went to AA met the love of her life and married her another woman so one of the things that she talks about in it and and being content and what content is is realizing and she realized this when she got sober you can feel all the feelings Mm -hmm. that you know a lot of the time we're just distracting ourselves and the rage is distracting us and we're cross that we're cross but actually it's okay to feel rage it's okay to feel sad All the feelings is quite hard to deal with all of the Mm -hmm. time. But once you have realized that you're going to feel all these feelings and they're going to be coming at you and you know you can sort of survive that, then you reach a kind of level of peace, a sort of Mm -hmm. happiness with yourself. I guess once you realize you don't have to be incredibly happy all the time, you're not striving for something all the time, you're not questioning all the time, you're not searching, you're just in the moment dealing with Mm. good and bad feelings, I Mm. think that makes me feel like I might be heading towards yeah well I think it's I'm finding it in funny little day-to-day moments where (laughs) it often involves our kids rolling their eyes in absolute horror at Neil and I because it's kind of your glass two pairs of glasses yeah I did just put two pairs of glasses on exactly that's an eye rolling moment it's kind of like when you find pleasure or get excited about some like really simple little things should I I tell you a couple of my little things that make the kids eye rolls are they gonna make me review our friendship yes very likely it involves spotting things like a goldfinch in the garden that gets neil and i very excited (laughs) and also 
watching things on TV like the repair shop. Have you watched oh, the repair I can't shop? Watch the rep- oh, you I can. Just can't watch it. Trish. Oh I can't. my god! It's, I mean, I would rather. I don't. I would just. I, I can't think of anything more boring. <laughs> my husband loves it. <laughs> it's Pay someone a, to fix it. Yeah, no. It's an hour of feeling pure contentment and kind of happiness of life and people and experiences and craftsmanship. I can't even. I'm just. I can't. It's a whole other episode. I, I think just, the repair it shop. It sounds deathly <laughs> dull to me. It's, but Trish, is that not? about settling because there is a in our interview one of the interviews with one of the guests we said it's just that running at life at 100 miles an hour she Mm. says children run at life at 100 miles an hour but we all slow down when we get older is that Mm. not what I would call settling I don't think it is I think settling is when you're putting up with things like a job or or a relationship because it's kind of easier to do than actually shake things up and go for what you really want in life so I think that's kind of settling but being content is about finding that peace and that kind of like this is an okay decision it might be like you do something that you weren't expecting to do but actually it's okay so you carry on with that but it's like when it stops being okay that's when you know you might need a little kind of red flag and and start to kind of review things but I think it's one of the great things about getting older is feeling content and I think once you've sorted out the rage which is very easily done you can make lifestyle changes you can replace the estrogen with it and testosterone with hrt once you've sorted out the rage it's a little bit like you can you can deal with it or put it to good use there is a Mm -hmm. quote about anger which is that it's like water it takes the form of the container that it's in (laughs) so you can just let it flow and use it to do positive things in life use Mm -hmm. that as 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 an energy that's how i'm seeing my Yes, as I like energy that. to do positive things. We had a nice little review actually on the, the, the site where you get your podcast from. And this is from Tibbs Tabs Tobbs, who says, Thank you, ladies. I'm learning so much about what's occurring to me. Fascinated to watch my rage come and go with such spontaneity. <laughs> That's <laughs> genius, isn't it? It is. Just watch it come and go. Be content about it. 26-year-relationship with a man she met at university, the man who was her husband and the father of her two children. He left the family home just three days before Christmas in 2018. In the aftermath, Rosie has chronicled how she's built a new life for herself and rediscovered her midlife mojo and is dating again. So welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Rosie. Thank you very much for having me. I kind of wish it was like all together, but you know, it's good on Zoom. 
Well, it's as, it's as good as it gets right now for us. But um, it's lovely to see you. Now, we've known each other for nearly 20 years on and off in the fashion and beauty world. And you're really one of the most positive, upbeat people I've known. And you used to write this wonderful column about your life and your family life and your husband, Alpha Male, as you called him. So for me, and I think a lot of us around you, it was such a shock when it all came to an end so tell me what happened yeah I, I mean I wrote that column for years and I you know I kind of got I got together with my ex-husband ex-husband at university so we've been together for a really long time and I, I sort of called him the kind of constant in my equation because I am this kind of super bubbly positive person but I kind of needed that bedrock of somebody being there and um, we had this sort of lovely idyllic life and you know we kind of moved out to the country and, and then I was writing the column for Red suddenly out of the blue this kind of blindsiding uh, moment where he was you know he was just like I don't love you anymore I don't love you in that way anymore the, the line that you never want to hear and he just kind of started acting in ways that I you know didn't recognize he just wasn't the person that I recognized and he didn't want to stay in the marriage he wanted to leave and he wanted to move out and you know there are all these kind of confusing things to me that uh, that you know really made me question everything because he was so definite about stuff so he'd say I'm moving out I'm not telling you where I'm going and I'd say I don't think that's normal and don't the kids need to know where you're living and he'd say no you're being ridiculous you're being controlling you know all this kind of stuff so I was just in this world of pain and and for me it did come out of nowhere. This was Mm. Christmas 2018 so it was three days before Christmas which is kind of a horrific time for someone to leave you well it had been going on actually since the summer so the summer was when he came back with this kind of huge you know announcement and then I just really tried to hold on I was trying to do anything I could because you tried to fix it I tried to fix it you know but in doing so that kind of just depleted me so massively because it was like throwing myself against a kind of brick wall you know he was out basically and we'd go to these horrific like marriage counseling sessions where I'd you know be like you know like this sort of little dog like I'll do this I'll do this I'll do you know anything Um, it's very common for women to do that isn't it to try and make it work even though they're not sure they want to make it work well at that stage I was so in the headlights actually that I the idea of losing everything was just so horrendous that I didn't even, you know, all my friends were like, but he's not behaving, you know, this is not okay. You know, you deserve more than this, but I was just so obsessed. And actually in my book, I did quite a lot of research on it. It's almost like a junkie withdrawing from heroin. You kind of crave that fix because I think your ego is so doesn't want to deal with that rejection and is so frightened of the uncertainty. It'll do anything to kind of keep the status quo, basically. But he'd, he'd been in your life almost longer than he hadn't been in your life because you, you were so yeah, young when, when you met. Yeah, yeah and no, so- he'd been it longer. So when he left then, what was the actual day-to-day impact on you in that sort of initial aftermath? Actually, the sort of lead up to him going was the the worst thing because he was there, but he was not there. So he was coming back. But, you know, we've all got kids, you know, they still needed to have their recorders packed. They still needed to do exams for their next school. They still needed to be fed at night. So I was this kind of, 
you know, just trying to sort of be normal for them. I mean, in a way, thank God they were, thank God they were there because, you know, it kind of kept me going. I found it very hard to sleep at night. So I sort of started taking these sleeping pills. And then I went to the doctor and I just said, look, you know, I need some more of these sleeping pills. She said, look, I think you just need to go on some kind of like low dose antidepressant, anti-anxiety thing, because, you know, your weight's like falling off a cliff and you can't, she just said, I think it'll give you some clarity. So they maybe took a month to click in. And from that point, I did feel a bit steadier. And actually, weirdly, I always had this survival instinct. So I always knew I wanted to, you know, I kept working. I kept functioning. I didn't feel like I could just go and lie under a duvet. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Did you blame yourself for it? Retrospectively, I sort of looked back and tried to work out how I could be better in my next relationship or how all the things that I would do to contribute to it. But actually, that was so hard because, you know, obviously he was saying, I'm leaving because you have being controlling or I'm leaving you because you push me too far financially or I'm leaving you for all these reasons so it's like a double whammy of you kind of totally questioning yourself so and all the marriage counseling was about because he was the one saying I want out was sort of about looking at me and saying okay what is she doing wrong so you know it was that was just enormous in my head um so I did kind of question myself and, and there was stuff like he wanted, you know, he wanted to go to the gym every morning at five o'clock and I'd be like, well, do, you, do you not want to sit and have breakfast with the children ever? You know, and those kind of things where I think, is it reasonable? Is it not reasonable? Mm. They made me, it made me question all those things about what was reasonable, what wasn't. Mm. And obviously some of it was reasonable, some of his requests and some of it wasn't, which is a very long way of saying, yes, I did question myself. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the children, I mean, I mean, having to support the children through this as well, while you're just kind of on the floor, how did you manage that? That was heartbreaking, you know, having the conversation with them about, you know, daddy's going to go and, and because they didn't see it coming, you know, we weren't, it wasn't like we argued a lot. I mean, we did have arguments and stuff, but I don't think any more than any other couple. So, so they were totally blindsided too. They're kind of egocentric, aren't they kids? So they, they obviously they cared about me and they could see that I was really struggling, but you know, they needed me. They were kind of sobbing and crying and not going to sleep and lashing out and doing all those things. So to kind of dig deep and have the strength for them was just really hard. Did you actually get divorced? Did you go through an official divorce? divorced? Right. So you're <laughs> it's still... a really so... long process. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> when did you decide that that's obviously what you need to do? I actually just thought I need to take control of this. So actually it's at that point, I think it was probably about he, so he left, as you said, or he, he said, finally, it's over, it's over, it's over in just before Christmas. And then probably by about, February I was like okay we need to get divorced and I instructed a lawyer and I and from that moment I just felt like I had a bit of the you know I filed for divorce and at that point I thought okay that makes me feel a bit better and how did you find a lawyer how do you find I mean because obviously the finances are meshed everything is entangled oh, isn't it what's the kind of you know, practical even our, advice even our kind of like uh, iPhones were linked so you know like all our contacts are the same everything you know our emails were linked everything this is why I kind of want to help people because I feel like I'm in a really privileged position I have a family of doctors and lawyers and you know I'm very lucky and actually a really good friend of mine massive overachiever is like a family right. judge she said Andy. To me that, 
the handy the best barrister I've ever worked with is X and so she said I think you should speak to her and the barrister said the best lawyer I've ever worked with is X so she gave me this lovely woman called Sarah Lambert at Bowles and Co she's amazing and she gave me some really good advice because she was like you don't want an absolute uh, bulldog you know because actually all you're then going to get is two people two lawyers like this and you really don't want to go to court I mean that's 30k before you've sneezed if you do that you know you want to try and make it as amicable as possible and so therefore you want two lawyers that are actually going to work together to try and right. not spend all your money before you've even kind of worked out yeah yeah and actually practically she's signed up something which is called collaborative law which is they sort of the lawyers have to sign an agreement and sign up to a code that means that they won't be antagonistic and they will try and find the best solution and they will put the children first and you know she said to me that's her number one thing that she would always come back for and say you know what do you want at the end of the day and it's you know it's for the children to get through this with as you know little trauma as possible and are you in contact with your ex-husband or soon to be ex-husband now how does that work with parenting I mean yes I am and actually we have a sort of much more cordial relationship now and we can you know we can talk about the children and it's tough because I think if you if you haven't got children you just break up with someone you'd never see them ever again right but actually Mm -hmm. you know after 26 years you I mean it's it's sort of a whole chunk of your life that you would be walking away from so we are in touch but I'm you know I see him when he gets the kids or he comes to the house to see the kids and that sort of stuff but I just try and keep really clear boundaries because I don't I don't want to be friends I don't want to enter that zone where I you know emotionally I'm confused about stuff so I'm very much like we have a functionally friendly relationship as this uh, divorce coach once told me did you have therapy Rosie did you have someone to talk to about this because when you walk away from that you're walking away from a big part of you yeah absolutely do you know what I did I mean I did the marriage counseling and then I went to see her a couple of times afterwards on my own and then I did go and see a nice counsellor lady although I mean I find that also so weird I'm like can you just tell me what to do for a start they don't like, they, they <laughs> specifics <laughs> and also she was so she was like quite deadpan and sort of just reflected everything back and well as you've said I'm all like the jazz hand so I was like oh you know I'm just trying to make you like me basically <laughs> oh no <laughs> She was quite good in terms of techniques. Actually, she was more helpful in the stuff around like new relationships. So how not to kind of repeat those patterns Mm. or, you know, I I kind of definitely felt like I I needed to be in a relationship to sort of be valuable almost or to be desirable or Mm. any of those things. So being on your own, being single for the first time really in your adult life, at what point did you start becoming comfortable with that? You know, I'm not sure that I could honestly confess and say that that was the case. I got to the stage where now in the house, there's the three of us. So at night when I lock the door now, I don't feel that sort of crushing sadness. But I do, I do have to say, I, you know, I'm somebody happiest in a relationship. But what I'm really pleased about now is that I feel like I don't like need that relationship to kind of complete me. It's like the extra level of happiness. I, I can be less needy of it for kind of to hold up my self-esteem. 
can you see coming from your vantage point why many women and I know women stay in really bad marriages they don't like I mean that is one thing that I'm so grateful I would have stayed there I would have you know he'd set all these rules up for how it would have to be if we stayed together you know I will have to go to the gym my job will have to come first and I will have to do that and I would have totally even though I think I'm a really strong person, I would have laid down and taken that because just the, the alternative, the idea of, you know, telling the children, the idea of dismantling the finances, the, the thing of just not having that kind of safety net, I would have stayed there. So I can totally see why people would. What's your advice then for women going through that? Because you seem so much happier now than perhaps people who knew you before, even in the happy part of the marriage would have thought you would be. If someone, husband has just this minute walked out this week, what would yeah. you advise them to do? For me, that sort of vulnerability, that being open with people, because I still think there is a level of shame. Like, you know, people were so amazing. And, and there was this one lady, she was still really lovely. And she just, I, I remember telling her, and she just said, oh, well, you know, you must feel no shame. And, you know, I think actually there is an element of people not telling others because mm. they... A, have been battered down a bit, but also they kind of feel, you know, they feel there's an element of shame and guilt. So therefore they don't get the help. They don't get the help from their friends. They don't get the help from their family. So I would say, talk about it, you know, reach out to people. That sort of sharing the way, you know, people now write to me their stories and I might put them on Instagram and then they get the kind of, they get almost get a clarity by sharing it with other people. They don't feel alone. Yeah. Or to blame. Or to blame. Or there's also a massive thing of like, you th- I mean, I remember Googling in the beginning, like, who's this happened to? So I Google like Ben Affleck's wife, you know, Jennifer Garner. I think like, she looks like a really decent person and he's obviously <laughs> done her over massively. So I feel like yeah. it happens to good people. And I feel like that's almost the sort of validation you need at that point. And now the next phase, you've started dating. Yeah, so I had sort of two phases. So for me, you know, I had never been on a date. I mean, I kind of got, you know, I'd done all the drunken snogging and the, the sort of gone to university. When you were a teenager. Yeah, mm. exactly. And so therefore I never, I just never done it. But I knew that it was part of the kind of journey. And also the this divorce coach lady, she's called Sarah Davison. And she was like, actually, it's really good to kind of just put yourself online I remember going on this divorce retreat and and she said you know you have to write your biggest fears and mine was like nobody is ever gonna love me ever again like as and I totally 100% I want to hug you I want to hug you you're so lovable you're one of the most lovable people oh thank you and I, I genuinely genuinely just thought actually you know am I just gonna spend my days surrounded by cats and and that's totally fine if you want to do that but I knew that wasn't what I wanted and she said just go online and you'll get some validation you'll get people liking you and and you know that'll make you feel better I went away with I don't know if you guys know Nadine Baggett yeah well it was very good this detox spa I mean where we couldn't eat any food which was not good for me because I was about eight stone at the time and we were so bored and she was like okay I'm gonna sign you up to Hinge (laughs) so we're like flicking through hinge like thinking this is brilliant like it's like the man shop (laughs) and um instantly I kind of made some connections things like that and did lots of sort of flirting and then went out on maybe three or four did did people send you nude pictures a friend of mine's on that site and just these men just keep sending her pictures of their genitals genitals I didn't get any genitals pictures I have to say because a friend of mine said she got she just got loads of like up nostril shots and kind of lots of (sighs) in bathrooms taking pictures of their torsos when they really shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the quality was pretty high. Mm. 
that's nice say. Yes, this is good. So from that, got, kind of got this pool of like four or five guys and sort of started going out on these dates. And I have to say, I just really quite enjoyed it. I really remembered that I was quite a good flirt. What happened on the first date? Did you spend like three hours deciding what to wear? And did you go out thinking, this is bizarre, how am I going to do it? So my first date actually was with this photographer guy who came through my Instagram DMs. And <laughs> he was about... He was definitely only just 30-ish. I mean, he <laughs> and he was Crazy. really cute. Look at Trish. She's gone all bothered. <laughs> really cute. And we went out for dinner and he booked Lino stores in Soho. And I thought, well, my ex wouldn't know that if he like, literally came and slapped him in the face. So I was like, this is exciting. I'm going to a nice restaurant. This was like seven o'clock. Like by nine o'clock, I was snogging in the Groucho Club. Oh, like, I love it. Oh, <laughs> How weird is that, snogging someone after 26 years of snogging the same person? Exactly. But it seems to me that, that it's easy to do and we shouldn't be worried about it. Yeah. Well, so ask Trish, we might actually probably even snog your husband. I mean, I, maybe you two do, but I, maybe that was the problem. I wasn't doing much snogging by this day. That last, you know, it was just like fun. And I, obviously it was like entirely never going to go anywhere, but it was really good for the ego. Mm-hmm. And then after that was sort of dying, that's when Nadine and I signed up to Hinge. And then there were a couple of guys on that that I saw, you know, that were were more age appropriate and really lovely. And then one of them sort of turned into a boyfriend. It was lovely. And it was, it was really distracting and, you know, it was really good fun. And it made me realize there are sort of different kind of people out there. And in a way, it made me realize that my ex and I were really, had got to a point where we were quite different. So to go out with people that really, you know, I was really interested Mm -hmm. in and yeah, that was really good. That one then ended. So then I just got back to the man shop and then found (laughs) another one. But did you, I'm going to ask the, I'm going to ask the question, did you, the first time you spent the night with someone, how did that feel from your confidence point of view? For the book I interviewed, this really amazing woman called Dr. Karen Gurney, and she's a sex doctor. And she was saying that most, that the biggest fear for women is body anxiety. Yeah. And the biggest fear for men is performance anxiety. Because you're taking a new body out that you haven't used before, because the first one was 18. Really, really terrifying story. So this friend of mine, she said that she had a lot of children. And um, she said she went out with this really young guy, and he was like, midway through, it's like, can you just make it a bit tighter? Like magic. Wave your vagina wand over this. Oh my God, crushing, crushing. So the crushing reality that I, do you know what? I treated it like anything that I professionally get worried about so if I've got like to give a big speech or I've got to do various stuff I just ha- just did that sort of like one two three fuck it thing I was just like it, it's gonna be fine and also I do think there is you do suddenly start like taking care of yourself a bit more I have been working out more because like I've got more time and also I think you just sort of think okay I'm going to embrace this so I wasn't so worried about my body and, and those kind of things I was more worried about the vulnerability of my emotions that in a way yeah. if I slept with someone I would kind of fall in love with them and, and I just thought in that way but I was pleasantly surprised that I could have sex and not fall in love with someone <laughs> What advice would you give to women who are thinking, I'm just not going to do that because that'll make things worse or it'll make me feel bad or I'm just not, I'm not confident? I would say you really think about how ready you are. Don't get yourself into a situation where you're doing it for them. Don't get yourself in a situation where you're too pissed to make that decision properly. If you take control and you own it and you say, do you know what? 
nothing this may nothing may come of this but I'm gonna have a nice night I read a really good book that a friend of mine gave me called it's just a date and it's written by that guy who he was a screenwriter for sex and the city they're just really good at kind of like you know just don't expect too much don't like project 10 years into the future where you've married them just have a nice evening mm-hmm. have a nice but also kind of don't give it all away too much just keep your own boundaries and barriers up I guess mm. when you've got family as well you have to manage that because you don't want to bring anyone into your kid what are your thoughts around that I agree I think you have to be really careful there and that you know they're so vulnerable and delicate and sort of parade of new guys through I, mm. I don't think I mean for me it, it has to be really kind of feel permanent or, or, or you know be a long-term mm. thing to do that mm-hmm. being single Rosie it's not just your family dynamic that changes it's kind of the dynamics with friends with wider family how was that did that did you feel kind of suddenly very different in your relationships with other people I think I worried that I would be I think there's an element of there are probably some kind of dinner parties going on that I'm not invited to and all that sort of stuff but I don't weirdly that doesn't really bother me I I feel you know the overwhelming thing is that people have been incredibly supportive and incredibly Mm -hmm. kind and actually made me realize that I've been doing a lot of that by myself anyway really mm-hmm. um so it was more like the idea of him rather than him actually being mm-hmm. there so I think um most people were amazing and there are a few there are a few people that just couldn't for whatever reason handle it and they couldn't obviously it triggered something in them or triggered certain fears or they just didn't have the brain space and I just tried really hard to be philosophical about that and think you know sometimes people can step up and sometimes they can't Mm. and being on your own because it is being in your own company where so rarely if you're in a relationship you've got kids just actually being on your own are you comfortable with that now no okay, okay. i hate being on my fair own enough i, I hate it ever i hate it too i'm just not that i'm not that mm. person i like an office i like a busy home i like a dog i like all those things and so i don't think that's necessarily about the relationship necessarily mm. but i am i i do now you know it's like all those times which would feel really bad were like in the car you know when you just can't, haven't got the distractions mm-hmm. and now in those moments i'm totally fine so i'm you know i feel much better about those things you're okay with songs that remind you all those moments that might remind you of because they're kind of little landmines aren't they emotional landmines that drop in around us after 26 years of being with the same person weirdly i'm all right about all those things that are in the past so like for instance you know like I walked past the church that we got married in the other day and all that sort of stuff I'm all right with all of that stuff but there are a few songs around that period and even the kids like there are certain ones that the kids sort of freeze up and they were the ones that were happening around the time of the split. Mm -hmm. Christmas is just literally around the corner looming two years how do you feel about that? I sort of did an Instagram post the other day because I know how hard it is for people because it is you know Mm. it's that sort of super sentimentality and those pictures of the big family families coming through the two years on I feel fine actually and you know I have got a nice new boyfriend and so I will be with him and the kids and so actually mm-hmm. I sort of feel like it'll be really I think it'll be really nice and actually even last Christmas we went to my cousins we had a big Christmas and actually even last Christmas was nice I mean it was sad but this year I think I'll be fine mm-hmm. have you managed as a single mum it took me so long and then somebody said to me oh you're a single mum I was like shit I am like I didn't even think about it but actually I think like a lot of women I've been it didn't the the day-to-day stuff I realized I'd done most of that you know the washing and the cooking and the cleaning and the and there was certain stuff that I didn't do like I hadn't done I did wasn't very good at bills 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I still need to get a group of those. But a single mum is is fine actually but the teenage years which I'm navigating now I sort of think that thing with my son about you know that kind of not having a a big Mm. male in the house and you know now I sort of say to him you need to give me your phone and I'm kind of looking up at him and I think well I I can't physically take your phone from you anymore there's that and you know I grew up in a single parent house and my mum was really lovely but all I ever wanted really was that big family so I feel really sad for them that they don't Mm. have that so you've been on this journey from heartbreak to happiness, as, yeah. as you call it, on your fabulous website and your Instagram account is amazing. And I urge everybody to follow it because it's so joyful and uplifting. And the book is out in February. Where are you now on the journey from heartbreak to happiness? Well, I would say that I'm nearly there. I do have, I have this lovely friend uh, who has, has been on a similar timeline to me. And we, you know, we do have those dips and they are quite a lot about the kids or sometimes you grapple with the unfairness of it. You think, you know what, I've got to sort out trying to get a new mortgage or we might have to sell the house or all that stuff. And none of this was my choice. And maybe some of it was my doing, you know, you kind of have to look at that. But so sometimes that kind of rankles and sometimes I still question myself, but generally I'd say I was sort of 90% there. Oh, that's brilliant news. It's really good to hear you happy with a new boyfriend, which we want to hear all about. (laughs) Yes. Next time. Next time. Yes. Yes. Rosie, thank you so much for joining us on Postcards from Midlife. It's always a joy to be with you and be in your company. And we wish you a very happy Christmas and lots and lots of luck with the book next year. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's so lovely to see you both. Now it's time for What Would You Do? in which we share a midlife dilemma about family, friends or parenting. And this week we're asking, what would you do if your teenager just stops communicating and won't speak to you? Which is a habit I think they probably all get into at some point during um, adolescence. Um, How have yours been with that, Lorraine? Well, I've got four kids, three of them are teenagers. So I would say of the teenagers, two are very communicative and it's fine. And one is very non-communicative. I'm an over-communicator, as you know, Trish. And my husband is an under-communicator. So he's not really used to talking either. But I think when kids do that, when adolescents do that, you have to keep some kind of connection with them. Mm -hmm. So they might not want a verbal connection. They might want some kind of other non-verbal connection whether it's just sort of being in the room with them at the same time like deliberately making sure you're in the room just pottering around behind them or sitting next to them on their bed when they're doing something and just watching them do it I think you have to just keep that up and keep up a few rituals that you used to do when they were little you just keep doing it when they're older so you are sort of because they say all behavior is communication don't they so in a way if you've got a non-communicator or a sudden non-communicator just being a bit more but you've got some actual tips haven't you yes i have and the team toolbox exactly so kai graham she is a parenting coach she's written a really amazing book called the team toolbox and i had a quick chat with her because she's got this really simple technique especially at the moment when things are pretty stressed and strained everybody's having a hideous time you know home really needs to be a sanctuary and if you've got this tension because a teenager isn't talking to you and you're kind of harassing them because you want them to talk to you and tell them what's going on and you know it does create a bad atmosphere so it's better to just try an approach that is going to work for you because it will give you a bit of information and, and reassure you and it'll work for them because they don't have to give you too much information and she calls it three questions and what you have to do is first of all it's you get to a point where you, you need to say to your child listen we're not communicating very well I need to find out what's going on but I understand that you don't really want to talk that much 
can we just try this thing? Let's try it for a week and see how it goes. And usually kids should kind of be okay with that because again, they're not having to give away too much and you know, they want to keep you happy a little bit and get you off their backs, quite frankly. Well, they want to know you care, don't they? Yes, exactly. They're not going to get the Spanish Inquisition. The first question to ask is what's your number? And that is asking them on the scale of one to 10, how they're feeling. And literally all they have to do is say one is like terrible and 10 is really happy. And then you start getting a feeling if they keep saying, oh, I'm about a three or a four, but you don't question it. You just ask for the number and you start building up a picture. The second question you ask is what is your word? And they have to give you one word that describes how they're feeling. So it could be happy. It could be sad. It could be tired. It could be bored. It could be. And again, that's it. They only have to give you that word. And again, you're you're sort of building up a picture and using these words as a benchmark for how your child is feeling. And then you say the third question, the magic question, do you want to talk? And 95% of the time, they're going to say no. If they say no, you can say, fine, but I'm here now or whenever you want to talk. If they say yes, it's like, do you want to talk to me? Do you want to talk to dad? Do you want to talk to Uncle John? You want to give it to them and put it in their control. So they are controlling this conversation that they're going to have. She says it's very effective. It works for so many of her clients and you can see how I think it's so simple simple. but it's just simple but you're going to get what you want the teenager is going to be able to manage it in a way because they're you know they're growing up part of what they need to do is their independence they start keeping their cards close to their chest yeah Yeah, exactly forming their own identity there's another thing you can do called the six minute conversation what they don't want ever is to think that you might be talking to them for a long time (laughs) so if you start it by saying can we just have a six minute conversation and you keep it to a time limit and you've got into a bit of a habit of that, then they don't ever feel like it is the Spanish Inquisition. This is going to go on for three hours and they're going to have to give lots of information they don't want to get. So kind of time limited conversations are good. So those are the things that you can do if your teen stops communicating. But it must be said, if they stop communicating very suddenly and other things are worrying you, then you do need to talk to an expert about it. And perhaps, you know, if they look unwell or other health concerns, are around then perhaps talk to your GP. We have arrived at the helpful, practical and hopefully life-changing part of the podcast, How to Win at Midlife. Because it's that time of year, that time of life, that time of day when we look around and realise we need some systems, we need some processes and organisation in place. So we need to be more organised in order to free up some of the time that we have to have more fun, don't we? Yes, I want to get out and about. So you've been helping me a little bit with being organised this week, Mm, which is just very simple things that have changed my life. Sorting out my desktop on my laptop, Mm. putting it all in folders, working out which was my personal email, which was my work email, trying not to make sure those things crossed over so you get a bit confused. So it is a little bit about systems, but there is a really brilliant quote about uh, being organised and starting your day well. I like to get up really early and do things and think that if it's your job to eat the frog, eat the frog. (laughs) If it's your job to eat the frog and there are two frogs, eat the biggest frog first. (laughs) So basically get the worst stuff out of the way, the most difficult stuff out of the way at the beginning of the day. And that clears the way for the rest of the day. I remember actually being at an event with Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, who's probably the world's most organized woman. And she was a working parent and then she was a stay at home and then she was a working mum. And she said, one of the things that changed her life is every time there was a meal in the house, everyone would get up and disappear. So she had this rule where she said, 
no one goes anywhere for 15 minutes. Everyone just stays in this room and sorts this out with me. And in that 15 minutes, mm-hmm. quite a lot of stuff got done. So I'm mm-hmm. going to start doing that every time everyone mm-hmm. gets up here from dinner. I also follow Mrs. Hinch on Instagram. You do know oh, of her. Yes, I do. Lady. The cleaning, cleaning Oh lady. my goodness. She will save you hours. Go through her Instagram <laughs> account. I'm not really into the Maria Kondo thing of mm, too much, minimal, too much. but yeah. um, there are some basics of the Maria Kondo, which I think are very helpful is giving everything in your house a home. So if you give Mm -hmm. everything that you own a home, a specific home, then you don't have to duplicate it. Mm-hmm. So you don't get another one because you've lost that one. It all and everyone has to be aware of that. I also rung Sarah Tomchak, who's the editor in chief mm-hmm. of Red Magazine, which is full of tips on cleaning and clearing and being organised. And she said one of her best tips on being organised is to have a sharing agreement of tasks at home. Now this is not something you just Ooh. chat about. This is something you write down all the tasks written down, who is doing what. And then you just keep reviewing that, particularly as the children get older. And it's really good for early morning Mm -hmm. routines. She says, you know, baskets, boxes, all of that, things having a home, really important. And a friend of mine who is a teacher advises parents to have a uniform drawer and a home drawer. Now that's, uh, we've got two children with no uniform. So, but I've still got those two drawers. So this is Mm -hmm. where to school where at home and that has made such a difference because okay. then you know everything needs to be washed and what doesn't mm-hmm. need to be washed we got rid of the shoe basket this week trish <laughs> right um, the smelly shoe basket where are the, the smelly sh- shoes going now shoe basket was causing quite a lot of trouble because it wasn't divided and everyone was looking for their shoes and throwing things all over the place so actually now they just go in a row oh okay <laughs> oldest Lovely. to youngest they nice. go in a row it's a lot of thinking around pre-planning and I know when we spoke to the, the lady who runs the insomnia clinic, if mm. you write down things, you don't worry about it in the night. Yeah. So that does absolutely help as well. There's a really nice website called Mason Haven, which is stylish reordering mm-hmm. of your life. I think it's quite helpful. And there's quite a good Instagram <laughs> feed called The Crap Flat. Um, this is someone who lives in a really tiny flat and she talks about how she really organises. So for example, if she's going to store clothes, she'll put 10 things on a hanger, a bag over it, elastic band the top and then write on the white plastic bag what is in it it's just really good really really useful stuff i was wondering about apps because i'm I'm not brilliant with apps but there's a whole bunch of apps out there that Mm. um if you are a kind of quite a techie person who likes doing everything on your phone there's one called focus that's all about organizing your day into 25 minute sections there's one called kitsch that apparently you scan your supermarket receipts and then it keeps an update of what's in your cupboards and what you can cook which, oh my gosh, that's God. I mean, I just prefer to look in the cupboard. And there's also something called family wall to organize. Because, you know, like, you know, in the yeah. non-digital world, you stick something, calendar up on the wall and you have everybody's activities. But there is one that you can use on your phone. So to me, that means like more time and thinking and organizing to use these apps. But I know they work really well. Some people like them, super don't they? Well yeah. for some people. See-through yeah. containers. That would be my yes. main advice. Because the moment you put anything in something that isn't see-through, you've got, it takes a little yeah. bit more time to work out what's in it and nobody puts the lid on yes. anything in no house. well I have to say I'm quite lucky in that married to a man who is obsessed to the point of slight concern about things being in the right place he will even go into so if, say if we go and see friends Neil, stay with friends Neil, Neil, this is Neil that's the guy um he'll open their cupboards and start rearranging their canned oh, goods into <laughs> Putting all the labels yeah. facing forwards, that kind of thing. My, my husband is like that as well. It's, it's a, a weird spe- thing. It's a bit special. And we share an underwear drawer for a variety of reasons. What? So complicated, I can't even oh my go into them. And his side is colour-coded 
super mm. organized and mine looks like some kind of small animal has been in and <laughs> ruffled it around because I'm all right if the door drawer is shut I don't care oh my god in. knickers everywhere knickers and bras yes. everywhere that's the other thing you can do if you want to be more organized just just marry someone more organized <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Move in with them. It's Neil for hire. Yes, very good rates. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time for da, 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 nostalgia noodling. How far back have you gone in the time TARDIS this week, Lorraine? Well, I've gone quite a long way back and frightened myself slightly <laughs> with this one. But as we are the menopausal Morecambe and Wise, this yes. is really sort of from the era of 70s TV. Uh, my son is always talking about words that shouldn't be used anymore. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine who is of that era, slightly older than us, used the word knockers oh, the other day. And he wasn't talking about doors, was he? No, no. <laughs> this is... A word we grew up with, isn't mm, it? In the seventies and eighties, for women's oh, breasts. Can breasts. you imagine? Yes. Um, and then I sort of went down a terrible kind of route of seventies <laughs> words for women's Upsetting lady parts. Upsetting okay. myself. So there's <laughs> yep. strawberry creams was another one. Oh, I've never heard of that one. But mm. now, now I know it. Now it's invented. Yes. Baps. Yeah, baps. Yeah, remember those jubblies. How are your jubblies? <laughs> Lovely jubblies. Lovely jubblies. These are all wrong, aren't they? These are words that should not have been used in those. Should I tell you what's wrong as well? Was the. When your dad used to bring home the Sun newspaper and oh, yes. there would be the page three stunner with her breasts slash knockers and it would just there, there'd be the knockers. newspaper on the coffee table. That wasn't very nice, I have to but say. Who, who in their right mind thought that you could put a naked topless woman in a national newspaper? Oh, I don't anyway, know. I don't know. It's terrible very, times. Very strange. Use the right words for your lady parts. That's what I say. I've got friends who call things like their front bottoms noo-noos and things like that. That's not... Just use the words, the right words. Okay, we'll go with that. So I've been back to the um, church hall slash youth club discos of the late 70s slash early 80s. And in particular, do you remember slow dancing? (laughs) I mean, I didn't get asked very often. I didn't get, well, in a bit, in a way it is actually, because I didn't ask very often, but when you did, what you, you'd have to put your hands on his shoulders, wouldn't you? And you'd have to, you'd always make sure. <laughs> God, some spotty boy who was the only person who would ask you to dance. And there'd always be like at least a sort of six inch air gap so that you, you'd no pressing against the knockers or the nether regions, <laughs> I would say. And you'd be sort of shuffling around the floor to like always. AD in red. Lady in Red. Lady that in would Red. Be it. Yeah. Or Always and Forever by Luther Vandross. I seem to oh, I loved Luther Vandross. <laughs> but what, were you, would you have got sad if you were stood on the side well, and not being hardly pressed against? Yes. No knockers being touched? Secretly, yes. Secretly, sort of, uh, yes and no. I mean, I think just standing there wanting to be invisible because you know what I'm like, but equally also thinking, oh, please, some, please somebody notice me. And very occasionally they did. But, you know, it was uh, funny old times in the old oh, I like the slow dance situation. Do they do it anymore? I don't think they do. It's all bumping and grinding, isn't it? Is that what happens when you spot a goldfinch? You and Neil, you spot a goldfinch, sets you off, bumping and grinding. Very contentedly bumping and grinding. Bird watching, twitching. 
Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Postcards from Midlife. Did you enjoy it? Well, if you did, we have more twaddle for you next week. And in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on our Facebook page and our Instagram to keep these conversations going. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please tell all your midlife friends to tune in as well. Remember, you can subscribe from your podcast provider and please rate and review us too so we can continue to bring you all the best midlife stories and helpful advice. Once again, you can email us ideas or questions at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.